0: In a moment, I want to just take a moment and, and introduce. Um, we're teaching again. Our series is through um, topically at the moment. We've entitled it "Sheer Christianity." We're trying to get and distill important and significant aspects of the faith. We want to hear the heart of God. We want to hear what God has to say about certain and important topics. And so we've been teaching each week from one to the next on various of topics through this summer, and I anticipate we'll probably finish up in the next few weeks and move on to something new. But we're calling it Sheer Christianity, Radical Faith Amidst the Deluded World. Who wants to live radically in faith? I think we can use these words in a, in a bit of a christian if you will. Let's live radically for Jesus. But the truth is, is when we read Scripture and we see the early church birthed, by the power of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God falls on the early church to spread the gospel throughout Jerusalem and the cities beyond. What we see is radical faith. We see nothing less than that. And so we want to take hold of that for us, and and we've been talking about liturgies and culture and how there are, you might have heard the term liturgy as it pertains to Christendom. Basically, it's just, It's it's habits, it's practices, it's things that we do regularly regularly that form our habits and create patterns of holiness in our life. Sunday morning is a liturgy. We go through liturgy. We go through a a bit of, of the same rote system, if you will, or practice from week to week. There is liturgies within culture that Satan uses to intentionally form and inform our hearts and our thinkings to create patterns not of holiness but of unrighteousness often, or at the very least, patterns that distract us from that which is of God for us in this day. So we're trying to ignite a bit of a flame in our hearts and recapture as believers and hold tightly to these things that matter. They're significant, Right? What we have been talking about these last four or five weeks, they're significant. And so we continue this morning on a subject that I believe really is is of the utmost and absolute most importance. Not only for the church, but also for culture as well. Whether culture is willing to recognize that or not, which I am going to explain in a moment, I believe that they're not. It's an institution that is foundational not only for the church in terms of its integrity, of its health, of its vibrancy and its visibility within the church, but also it functions with the same foundational importance for society as well. And like the church, this institution is a a micro-reflection, if you will, of something so much greater. Pointing people, pointing us pointing those outside of the church towards the one who is more significant. The revelation of Jesus Christ himself is found within this institution or establishment that I want to speak of this morning. The necessity of its presence is therefore said to be without exception. And as such, listen to me please, as such, Satan and his influence within culture wage war against this establishment on many different levels and through many different means. It's attacked. It's reviled in its historical essence. It's discounted. It's constantly being undermined, downplayed, and it regularly finds itself being redefined by the sensibilities of current culture. What I'm referring to This morning, of course, is the relationship of a man to a woman, a woman to her man, and them to their kids. The institution of marriage and family is what I want to speak on this morning. Three weeks ago, I think Rick spoke very cogently while Shannon and I and the kids were away, but I listened to what he said, and I think he said very well when he talked about Gospel parenting is beyond just the immediate. It's how we look generationally towards our kids' kids and their children's children. Gospel parenting, it's so easy for us to be here now and just see what's in front of us. But true gospel parenting looks beyond. And I think Rick spoke really well on that. And so originally I had intended on speaking on marriage one week and family on another. But after listening to what Rick had to say, I decided to combine it together. And as I started to just prepare and let my heart kind of um, stir and meditate on truth, I, I, I realized that essentially when we get down to its very essence, there is one essential truth that lies at the core of it all. So this morning what I'd like to do is... I'd like to speak on what I'm calling a model of order. A model of order. And as I said, because a moment moment ago, its importance within multiple spheres, under the power of Satan, the liturgies of culture concerning marriage and family are constantly shifting and reorienting themselves strategically. Think about what I'm saying. It's constant. As it pertains to marriage and family, cultures, liturgies, are constantly readjusting and realigning themselves strategically as it wages war upon one of the most significant institutions within the creation that God has made. They're looking for new ways to chip away and to redefine one of the most dynamic means of revealing the person, the work, the nature, and the purpose of God In Jesus Christ. Family and marriage reveals the person, the nature, the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? It does. And I'm going to show you why. So there's two texts that I want to use today to speak on this important substructure of both Christendom and culture. The first is Genesis 1. The second is Ephesians 5. And you might be thinking those are two relatively obvious texts, but both of them speak very clearly to the issue at hand today. And so turn into Genesis 1, please. And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to try to read it quickly. I just want to say there's so much to be said about this. There's so much to be said. And so I'm going to try to distill it into what I believe is really just the essence for us this morning. Genesis chapter 1. May our hearts hear these words with new life today. This is the word of the Lord, church. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. Listen to what God is doing. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creature and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and do every beast of the earth and do every bird of the heaven and do everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, in verse 31, and God saw everything he made, and behold, it was what? Good. Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. It's good to have Scripture sometimes in large chunks. feels like a bit of a marathon. But as to what I want to say this morning, it's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture to come back to regularly. Don't be afraid of it, even in its mystery, even in its, perhaps, disagreement within Christendom itself, but to let God speak to you through Scripture. And so, again, I want to speak this morning on order. And as I begin, I thought that even though we all know what order is, as we read through Genesis, what we see explicitly is this very thing, that God is establishing order. Order And I thought it might be helpful if I just gave you the general definition of what order is. Order is the arrangement, listen to the language, the arrangement or disposition of people or things in relation to each other according to a particular sequence, pattern, or method. According to a sequence, pattern, or method. I would also say that it's, it is also important to note that the source Of the order. Whose is it? Who's creating the order? So, as we seek to define what order is and recognize within Scripture, we must recognize that it is God's order first and foremost. It is He who initiated it. And answering this question then allows us to return to the source when clarity is needed. When it becomes confusing or an attempt to redefine something that necessitates order, it's helpful helpful for us to remember whose is it and who defines it, and to return to that. So whether liturgy speaks to the narrative of broken homes, blended families, singleness, infertility, same-sex attraction, marriage between same genders, or even gender itself, when the liturgy of culture speaks to any of those matters, what lies at the very core of the matter is the issue of order. And so having this as a foundational understanding in our hearts is vitally important, church. So when we speak in the, in the context of order, or when we speak of order in the context of marriage and family, we must first go to the source of God's order for marriage and for family, which is why I wanted to read Genesis chapter 1. The first and perhaps the most obvious observation that we can make from this account that Moses records here in Genesis chapter 1 is that God is the God of order. He himself is order. Think of the example that he gives to us even here just in verse 26 of chapter 1 when it says, let us, the plurality of God creating and making, we see within the Trinity itself is order of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And think of how the three of them together work as one being. One is submitted to the other. One follows the will of of the other one works at the behest and in obedience to of the other so already we can understand that not only is order from god but order originates from his very being he is a god of order replete within the first chapter there is creation explicit with what distinction creation types kinds with purpose, with hierarchy, with limitation and boundaries we see. And very importantly, creation with a pronouncement of it being wholly pleasing, good, and complete. All of that is implicit within Genesis chapter 1. In other words, there's nothing here within Genesis 1 that leads us to believe that more was needed or more would be added. There is, in fact, a divinely perfect and clearly established order and a pronouncement that the order was what? Very good. Are you guys hearing me this morning? We're, we're laying a, veer, a very important key, cornerstone, so that, again, pick a narrative, This speaks to it. There's a writer by the name of Peter Jones, and he wrote a book called The God of Sex, How Spirituality Defines Your Sexuality. And I want to share with you some thoughts that he says concerning order in Genesis chapter 1. He says, Like a skilled craftsman, carefully honing every detail of his masterpiece... God created by establishing distinctions, by separating things out, and giving each thing its place and function. This is the essence of what the Bible means by the act of creation. I think oftentimes, don't we just think of creation as things coming into existence? But there's so much more with creation, and this is what he's speaking to. This is why separation is immediately associated with goodness. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. The phrase, according to its kind, is a programmatic theme used 10 times in the first 25 verses of the Bible. Each type of vegetation, every living creature, is created according to its kind. Thus, the distinction of kinds is also declared as good. God, act, God's acts of creative separation are related to the notion of holiness because to separate and to make holy, they are synonymous terms. Now we're, now we're getting into God and his people, and we see within the nation of Israel and the commandments that the Lord has given to them and how all of that was for distinction, was for purpose, and was so that they would be separate from the world of which they lived within. He goes on to say that naming is also tied to holiness. The difference between male and female is an essential part he calls cosmic holiness. By separating things out and giving each one a specific name and different function, God is sanctifying and declaring holy what he makes. Now, I would say it should then be noted that order as established within creation is not simply the introduction of functional harmony. It's not just things coming and and living in harmony with each other or how well things work together for the betterment of the whole, but rather, but rather, order as established within creation is a divine proclamation that what God has made is perfect, is complete, and is therefore holy. His distinctions, his separations, his types, his kinds, there's function, all of that present within creation. So if this is true, which it is, because this is what the word of God reveals to us, then it automatically speaks loudly to the secondary and surface level issues with the church battles within culture and now within its own walls. Again, think of some of the things that I had mentioned. Same-sex attraction, marriage between same-sex attracted individuals, the issue of gender, all of these are answered or addressed in this one specific truth, created order. Are you guys following me? Okay. So why is this important? Why is it important that we begin with this truth of order? Because as I said a moment ago, what God has stated as very good, the world calls evil and works all of its efforts towards redefining and undermining what God says is holy and is complete. And Peter Jones will go on to say, if you can share that next one for me, it's much shorter, he says this, in paganism, oneness, which he, he develops Extensively as the philosophy and the, pra- the practice of reducing things into sameness. Oneness involves the destruction of distinctions. He's talking about culture. In culture, oneness involves the destruction of distinctions, the radical autonomy of the individual, and the ultimate annihilation of personhood. Think about what's happening right now within culture just as it relates to gender. We're seeing this very thing. But theism, he says, nurtures encourages and celebrates distinctions and brings them together, and I love this statement, in a rich, God-ordained tapestry of endless, varied complementarity. Did you get that? A God-ordained tap- tapestry of endlessly varied complementarity. So church, can you see how vitally important it is for us to understand this as the basis of marriage in a family? How order speaks so loudly to God's intention and the revelation of himself through an earthly means. It's so much more than you just finding a partner or desiring to find a partner and having children that you're responsible for. As a believer, to understand this, regardless of whether you are single or hopeful to be married, married, divorced, widowed, widower, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, to understand this is still of vital importance because wherever you are in that whole spectrum, you have an opportunity to speak into your sphere of influence what is true and to model what is right and to reveal Christ to a watching and needing world. Amen? So this is very important. But then we know, of course, that the entrance of sin in Genesis 3, it immediately attacks this order. Look very quickly at chapter 3, verse 16. Sin comes and immediately attacks the order. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Interesting too, these are the words of the Lord. This is the proclamation of God upon creation because of its sinfulness. Immediately, the order is tarnished, if you will, because of sin. The complementary dynamic And the relationship between husband and wife through sin are distorted and are damaged. And the leadership role of the husband within marriage is also strained and undermined here in 3.16 because of sin. So now we must fight and scrap to maintain every square inch of ground that we hold as those who've come into something new by faith into God's kingdom. The institution of marriage and the structure of family in God's kingdom is a bright beacon of light that declares this is God's and this is holy. How much we need that more and more today within the church. A proclamation, this is God's. This is not culture's. This is not for you to define. God has defined it. God has created it as such. God has called it holy, and so therefore, too, do we call it holy. And we speak with our lives, and we model, and we show that this is what marriage looks like. This is why gender distinctions are good and right and holy. This is the order of husband, wife, and child in the family structure. Here's how we each function rightly bringing the most glory to God. And it even, this matter of order even informs secondary matters such as fidelity, marital fidelity, and sexual purity. It speaks to that as well because there's order within each of those things. So what does this look like? I want to just speak with the time that I have left this morning What does it look like within God's God's kingdom? How do we, as individuals, each one of us at a different stage in life, as I've already said this morning, how do we model this order for the watching world? Look at Ephesians chapter five. I wanna speak very practically. Paul is gonna speak in Ephesians five. Again, you probably know the text well. He's speaking to husbands, wives, and children. Now, if you don't fall into any one of those three categories I'm asking you not to tune out for reasons of which I've already spoken. If you're single and you're desiring to be married, you should be listening very intently to this. This is preparatory for you. This is groundwork for you. If you are single or if you are or widowed or a widower, this is still vitally important because, as I said, you have the opportunity... To model, to teach to your peers, the older individuals to teach the younger, the younger to speak to their peers and to stand for what is true and for what is right. Just like we do with any other matter of truth within the world, right? So, what did this look like? Ephesians 5, looking at verse 22, and I'll try to read this quickly. Paul says, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul begins here by addressing women, but I actually want to begin by what he says to the men. Why? Because elsewhere, Paul is going to speak in 1 Corinthians, and he says that I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, that the head of a wife is her husband, and that the head of Christ is God. Listen, the created order is this. It is God, Christ, man, and woman. God, Christ, man, woman. Now, I say that, and immediately you think of this. God, Christ, I am man, and I am woman, subjugated to the will of man. You don't have to raise your hand, but we think this. Why? Because culture has told us that order is wrong, that distinctions and separations, that roles and purpose are not to vary, but they are to be equal, right? To some degree. And you can, you can agree with that. There's a spectrum, let's just say, that you can agree with me on that. But I think we can all agree that that spectrum exists, and we all fall on it somewhere. So, let's take that off, lest that become ingrained into our thinking... <laughs> Because that is not what Paul is saying. Listen, listen, that is not what Paul is saying. We immediately go to hierarchy. We go to pecking order. And we go to importance. But let's snuff that ember, lest it grow and fan into a flame, because what? Order does not equal importance, church. Order does not equal importance. Say that with me. Order does not equal importance. Order does not equal importance. Okay, I'm serious. We have to we have to remind ourselves of that. You like my keynotes? Yeah, listen, I like some keynote. Order does not equal importance. Remember Genesis one. Order establishes flourishing. It doesn't create a system of power and importance. It establishes flourishing, it promotes vibrancy and function, and it celebrates distinction as holy and good. That is what order brings about. And so it's important to recognize within Paul's words there in 1 Corinthians, what I was just saying, there's a profound example too, where he says that even Christ has a head, which is God. So he's saying, just in case you're struggling with the order that I have created, let me remind you that within my personhood, there is order and there is distinction. The head of God is Christ. Sorry, the head of Christ is God. Jesus Christ was submitted to the Father in his will and through obedience to the Father's guidance and the Father's instruction. We see that all throughout the New Testament as Jesus' earthly life was walked out and his ministry was played out. Jesus wasn't casting off the restraints of order and demanding down with the patriarchy as he walked through Jerusalem and around Galilee and the other areas, right? No, he modeled submission to the will of the Father. And so back to Ephesians To the husbands, I begin with the husbands, and he says this, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And in case we're unclear of of what that love looks like, he tells us immediately after that Jesus gave himself up for her, speaking of the church, that he might sanctify her. Listen to the language, sanctify her. We know what that means, right? Making her Holy. Cleansing her, setting her apart, making her distinctive. That is what sanctification is, right? That Jesus sanctified the church so that he might present the church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And interestingly, Paul makes this comparison between Christ and the church and husbands to their wives. So husbands, men, Or hopefuls, this is how you are to love your wife. Firstly, in God's order, a husband's love and leadership should be sacrificial. That's the first thing that we see here. He gave himself up, Jesus Christ did for the church. A husband's love and leadership must be sacrificial. Preferring his wife, being satisfied with his wife, placing his wife first in his endeavors. And he goes on to say that a husband should love his wife the way that he loves his own body, by nourishing his wife and cherishing, and that's not a word we use often, but it speaks of protection and care. That just as you care for your own body, as you protect your own body, so too a husband ought to protect and to care for his wife. A helpful analogy that I have heard for this relationship is one of a gardener to his garden. Think about this for a moment. A gardener tends to his garden. He doesn't trample harshly through it. He cares for its flourishing so that it would bear good fruit in due time. He protects it From outside influence that would look to infiltrate and to rob it of its fruit and beauty. Why? Because man knows best? No, because this is how God has intended it to be. A gardener works tirelessly. Listen, men. A gardener works tirelessly to tend to his garden. So, too, should a husband work tirelessly to cherish and care and nurture his wife and to lead her well. A gardener understands seasons. He knows which portions of the garden are most vulnerable to overexposure and understands precisely the right time when it's to be harvested. Men, listen, this takes time. It takes intentionality. It requires selflessness, long hours, strategy, Wisdom, and wisdom that only comes from God. So if you think you're just going to do this without having a source of grace and life being fed and wisdom into your own life, you are sorely mistaken. Secondly, Paul says that in God's order, a husband's care for his wife is aimed at being effective in bringing about a godly result. Are you guys following me? Is this okay? Okay. So the first, a husband's love and leadership should be sacrificial. Number two, in God's order, a husband's love and leadership for his wife is aimed at being effective in bringing about a result that is godly, In verse 26, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That makes no sense on the surface, does it? Am I supposed to wash my wife with water of the word? That doesn't make sense. Jesus' accomplished work through the cross was complete and fully effective. Listen to me the word that theologians often use to describe this work is the word efficacious. Have you heard this word before? Efficacious. It means that it was successful in what it set out to accomplish. It was successful in bringing and producing a desired result. The cross of Jesus Christ was fully efficacious, was it not? We don't always walk and live in the reality of the fruit of the cross, but we know that what Jesus Christ did was fully sufficient for all to know him and for all to live in freedom, right? So Paul is taking this profound and beautiful mystery of of Christ and his cross, and he is applying it to the institution of marriage, and he's saying that the leadership and the love of a husband should be so intentional and should be so rich and full of wisdom and love and nurture that it actually stimulates and brings about a desired effect of godliness in his wife. That is amazing and it's also frightening if you are a husband. Take a moment and take some quick inventory in your own life. Are your habits... Are your actions, is the way that you lead, being fully effective to bring about godliness in the life of your wife? Number three. Verse thirty-one speaks of the fact that in God's order, a husband, his leadership is furthered by holding fast to her and to her alone. And there's much to be said, but because of time, I have a couple other things that I want to say, and I want to. Uh, Make sure that I don't go too long here this morning, but let me just say this. The the NASB, the New American Standard Version, says that a husband will be joined to his wife. There is this picture, the word in the Greek there is like a glue, it's an inseparable. It also implies cleaving, and and we have this picture of Moses hiding in the cleft of the rock, right? It's, It's just like that Jesus Christ was the rock of ages, as the hymn says, that was cleft for us, that we find ourselves hidden in Christ. That is implied within this word that's used in the Greek. This conjoining of the two, almost that they not are indecipherable, but that they are inseparable. Men, I would just say that not that it's like, that it's like, oh, she's my best friend. Men, that you would be fully satisfied with that which the Lord has given to you with your wife. That's a statement to being satisfied with our wife. Everything within culture is going to draw our satisfaction away from godly things and towards itself, and that includes our spouses. So, within God's order, within his created order, the love and the leadership of a husband is to be, is to be, that he would cling to her fully, and that he would be satisfied by her only. Okay? All right. And next, God, of course, Paul, God speaks through Paul regarding marriage, and he speaks to the wives, and he says this. He essentially has one simple instruction, right? One simple thing. Submit. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. An important thing just to point out, it isn't that women submit to men. The the imperative within Scripture is that a wife submits to her husband and to her husband alone. That's important. Here, too, in in the Greek, the word for submit can be translated in the English as... Subject, the inference is submission from a place of belonging to. And and again, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we didn't read it, but the account where, where woman is created from man is a beautiful picture of this being conjoined to or coming from and the connection that a husband and a wife have with each other. And so in this word is this picture of, of submission be out of belonging to. As the husband joins himself to his wife, so too does the wife give of herself to him. It's a a similar but different imperative that the husband would cling to his wife and in so she in return would give of herself fully and obediently to him. Church, we have to fight the tendency to see the imperatives of God's word as somehow declarative at best and at worst case suggestive. Sometimes we want to read some of these things and say, that's a good idea, maybe I'll do that one day. And listen, I'm not just saying this in what Paul says to the women. I could have said this and maybe should have said it at the beginning before all of the imperatives of how men are to lead. But this is an imperative of Scripture. This is God's order. It's modeled for us by Christ himself. And whether we're husbands or wives or neither at this moment, it requires and necessitates grace to be active and alive in our life. Remember that sin's effect is that a husband would rule harshly, you might say, and a wife would want to then usurp or master her husband. That's the effect of sin. That's what we naturally fight. But by the grace of God, we can live according to the order that he has established. And then he'll finally say, Children, obey and honor. In other words, comply and respect, he says. Don't grumble. My children, look at me this morning. Do not grumble, do not complain. Do not roll your eyes, do not stomp your feet. The word of God says to obey and to respect your parents. And I love how how Paul says it. It's the first commandment to be followed by a promise. That your life would be long in the land. Isn't that beautiful? That it would go well with you. There's so much more that can be said, but for the sake of time, I, I need to make an important connection here because as I said in the beginning, Marriage and, family, they are, marriage and family are a micro-reflection. Individuals comprise the family, and families are what makes up the church. And there is not a coincidence that Paul's usage of Christ and the church relates to husbands and wives, because there's a very, very important connection between the two. God's created order and structure for family translates to also how the church is to function. His order here also translates to his order right here. Present within the church is what? Leadership, nurture, care, preference, dedication, union, being joined together, holding fast to one another, submission, obedience, honor, respect, accord, function, all of the things that we have seen and I've spoken of this morning. There's sacrifice, there's grace, there's single-mindedness, there's unity, there's joy. All of these things are present in the church as well. Wouldn't you agree? Where God's order does not only exist for husbands, wives, and children, it exists also for his people as well as the rest of his creation. And so we have to recognize, and I'll just land by saying this, that this that I am speaking of is the ideal this morning. This is truth. And we probably fall somewhere hopefully near, or at least striving for the ideal. But we live in the real. And so for men, you may have listened to me this morning to speak about leadership, to speak about care that is effective in bringing about a result in the life of your wife, and and the unity that you might have, and you say to yourself, where do I begin? That seems daunting to even begin at this time. Let me just say this to you. If you have advocated any degree in any one of these three things this morning, if you have advocated the first thing to do, repent before the Lord, And repent before your wife. And it will take time, but the proof is in the pudding. And you say to your wife, you know what? I have not led well in this area. Forgive me. This is my intention. By the grace of God, I will do it. And she might not believe you fully. And that's okay. That's between her and the Lord. But as time goes... And as she sees you walking it out and walking it out and walking it out, she, her mind will be changed. That is where we begin this morning. And for the women, if you're looking at your guy and you're going like, this guy does not deserve to be submitted to. Because the reality is, is there's plenty of times that we don't. We don't deserve to be submitted to. Because we're not acting and leading in accordance with everything that I've just said. What do we do in that moment? To those, I would say, submit to Christ. What did you say? Do it anyway. Well, that's literally what I'm about to say. I would say, if that is you, you don't you you submit to your husband by first submitting to Christ, because that is the imperative of Scripture. Submit to the Lord. Do it unto God. It's. You might not feel as though he's worthy of the honor of your submission, but remember, it's not a suggestion, it's an imperative of Scripture. Do it before the Lord, because to not do it, and the same thing goes as husbands, it's a sin. To not lead this way, to not love this way, to not submit and to respect this way is a sin. That's what it distills down to. And so to to the rest... So the the hopefuls, perhaps the teens, the singles, remember that what's at stake is something so much greater than our own personal experience. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. These things are important because God has chosen these institutions, this establishment of the family and marriage, to be a revelation of himself to the world. That's why this matters. And so it doesn't matter where we are. What matters is what we understand and what we profess as being true. We have to fight for these things. We stand against Satan's schemes within culture. If you're a teen, speak of what is true. You have a hard battle uphill that's in front of you in this life right now. But understand what is true, speak what is true, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ receives the glory in doing so. Like I said, there's so much more to be said, church. I really just felt like we needed to hit this home because of the culture liturgy that just is against this created order constantly. And so I hope this was okay. I, I, again, I recognize that I've left much out of this conversation, and perhaps uh, we'll take another time to do it. But um, may the Lord Jesus Christ give us the grace. to to lead and to live in this truth. Amen? Uh, I've gone over, so would you just stand and I'll end it now. And Kev, if you felt just like you needed to say something, bro, of course you can. But let me pray. Um, Actually, can I just say this too? I brought this because I cannot recommend this book enough. This is the book that I had quoted from um, by Peter Jones. It's called The God of Sex. It is so incredibly well written. Um, There was a group of us that just decided to read it and discuss it together. It speaks so, so directly to what's happening within culture as it pertains to sexuality and the heart of God in his created order. So I'd just recommend that to you guys, okay? So let me pray. If you're here this morning and you're you're just kind of finding yourself maybe confused, perhaps I cut across the grain for you in some way this morning. You didn't like everything that I said. Or maybe just earnestly you're desiring these things and you're striving for them. Um, I want to just pray this morning, and I'm going to trust that as I pray, that the Lord Jesus Christ is, you know, he, he knows each one of us. Thank God, doesn't he? He knows our tendencies, our weaknesses, our struggles. He, he knows our hearts and the desires of such and our intentions. And I'm so thankful that he, by his spirit, in this very moment, can speak to and address the specific need of each one of us as it pertains to this. So let me just pray. Would you please agree with me as I pray this morning? Father, as I said, so much has been said and so much still needs to be said. But Lord, what we have heard this morning, we believe, Lord, that it speaks so directly to an immediate need that the church a battle, if you will, that the church faces in this day and age. And Father, we begin by coming to you on behalf of the generations to come. We we think of the words of Rick from a few weeks ago, and we want to look beyond the now. We we want we want to look to the ones that will be. Lord, may we make these decisions now for their sake. May we fight this battle now, Lord, not only for just the integrity of the witness of the church, but Lord. As a sure, as building a sure foundation for those who are to follow us. Lord, in this room today could very well be the next leader of this church or your church here in this city. Lord, we ask for the empowerment of the Spirit of God to live according to the truth of Scripture in this way. And Father, regardless of whether we find ourselves Squarely in the middle of this conversation or on the fringe of either side, Lord, I still ask that we would fight this battle together. Lord God, that we would we would understand the importance of the created order as you have set forth. Lord, that we would model it. I pray today for husbands, Lord, who lead poorly, who are are indifferent and or oblivious, Lord, to the truth of Scripture. God, that you would convict their hearts today to so uh, be bent towards a love and a care and a nurture for their wives, Lord God. That in so doing, we would point to the love and the care of Christ for his church. And I pray, Father, for the women in this room that struggle, Lord, in this moment to submit to their husbands for whatever reason, I pray, Lord, that their affection for you would increase to the point where they see it not as a submission just to their husband, but to you, Lord God, and would do so joyfully. Help us today, Lord, activate grace in our lives by your spirit, Lord, to live this out. And Lord, I pray for language that is is, um, seasoned with salt and with grace as we speak to our co-workers and family members and unbelieving peers, Lord God. This is, this is such a hot-button topic, if you will. But help us, Lord God. I pray that we would find ourselves just driven to Scripture, driven, Lord, and may, in the end, ultimately, should we not be able to fully reconcile it all, Lord, that we just say, I submit to you, Lord Jesus. We submit out of obedience to our Creator. Who are we to question you, Lord God, this day? Pray for your spirit, Lord God, right now. Meet us where we are. Meet us where we are in the name of Jesus Christ. We trust you in these things, Lord. We know that you will meet us in our areas of need. We love you. May you be glorified. Amen.